Good morning. Although it is closer to noon. I think that's always the tricky part with starting about 1030. You are listening to Action Line on KNY. I am your host, Jordan Lewis. And joining me today, I have Karen. And how do you pronounce your last name? My name is Karina Weebold. It's a tricky one. I was going to say, I mean, it's not as tricky as some I've seen. Don't get me wrong. There's some I've seen that are very tricky. You ever try to figure out how to pronounce Sinead? <laughs> that's a hard one. <laughs> yep, yep. You're right. There's there's harder ones out there for sure. But thank you for clarifying that for me. Now, you are here to talk about some articles that are in the Department of Labor's Trends magazine. Yes. Now, obviously, the big one I wanted to hit with you is, is tourism bouncing back? Now, I'm sure a lot of folks listening know that the first cruise ship for Juno is actually next week. So if you didn't know that already, you know now the tourists are on their way. But how is it looking in terms of it economically? Well, it's really interesting, but just to be quick and big picture, we're expecting a very good year for tourism this year. There should be, if the boats are coming in full, a record number of cruise ship passengers coming through Juneau. Okay, and I have the graph actually here with me. It looks like the anticipated number for this year is 1.6 million, or is that for Juneau or is that for the whole state? It's for the whole state, but okay. you hit on something else that's really interesting, Jordan, is that a lot of cruise ships come through southeast Alaska. That's the primary route. Juneau gets 97 or 98 percent of all passengers coming to the state come to Juneau. So in reality, that really could be the Juneau number. It's pretty close. Okay. Now, obviously, this is going to be big considering there was no cruises during the pandemic time. That, those numbers dropped dramatically. Yes. In fact, um, when we looked at 2019, that was a record number of cruise ship visitors that year at 1.2, 1.3 million. 2020 was expected to be 1.4. It was going to be our new record in 2020. And as a result of the pandemic, zero. So we broke our streak of constantly having a new record of tourists because the pandemic happened. Yep. Yep. It was it was a real step back. Okay. And then obviously you said it's going to be a record year, but what is considered to be a normal year for us in terms of tourism? It's a that's a, kind of a tricky question to answer because every year we've been getting more and more cruise ship visitors. But um, in the last couple of years, that 1.2 is kind of been a normal number. So pre-pandemic, I would say one, two, one, three million for cruise ship visitors was pretty normal. Okay. And then, like you said, most of those cruise ships stop in Southeast were kind of the big, big place for those cruise ships. Mm-hmm. But obviously, we're not the only ones. I can see, because you actually provided me with a graphic here, you know, we also have some that even go all the way up towards, let's see here. I mean, we definitely have those that go out on the Aleutians, although not too far. Oh, you know, it was fascinating when I was looking at all the places that cruise ship visitors stop because, like I said, most of them are in southeast. So when we looked at the numbers, 97, 98 percent of them go to Juneau, uh, nearly 90 percent of them stop in Ketchikan, uh, 78 percent or so go to Skagway. And then all of our other communities get a lot fewer. Huna um, is one of the next biggest icy points straight and one of the next business busiest stops and they only get about 20 percent of the traffic so i tend to think like okay cruise ship visitors they're coming to southeast some of them make it up to south central and get onto the land-based cruises and move into the interior like that but that's where we're at 
But I stopped and I looked at all of the ports of call and places that cruise ships are going to stop, at least one of them in this next year. They're all over the place. There's like 30-odd places in Alaska that cruise ships could stop, even if it's just one. Like you said, the Aleutians, all the way down to Attu Island, there's some that stop for birding. There's some that go to Adak. There's some that stop in Dutch Harbor. There's a couple that get to Nome. They are going all over the place. And some of these cruises are really fascinating because we tend to think, especially down here, about like Disney, Carnival, Norwegian, Holland, America. But there's some very small, very expensive kind of specialty cruises. The one that I was looking at coming out of Germany goes up the coast of um, Japan, comes across to the Aleutians, and then goes up to Nome from there. It's really interesting. I saw another one that starts in Seward, ends up up in Nome, and then goes across um, the northern tip of Canada and goes to Greenland. So we really have some fascinating options for visitors coming to Alaska. I was going to say, hearing that one reminds me of the old search for the Northwest Passage. That's what they call that cruise. It's the Northwest Passage Cruise. I I enjoy when I'm right by sheer coincidence. (laughs) I was going to say, I think the most uh, shocking stop to me anyway would be Prudhoe Bay. That one seems quite surprising that that would be a cruise stop. I agree. I absolutely agree. Um, And I think there was only one boat that said that it was going to be making a swing by through. But yeah, there's remote places and there's people who want to go to these very different places for really different reasons. Culture, animals, history. um, Some of like we mentioned, kind of recreating the Northwest Passage. There's a lot of things that get people interested in coming here. And particularly with some of these longer, month-long, very expensive cruises, they have historians and naturalists on board who are really talking them through what this whole situation looks like as they travel. Gotcha. Well, I mean, if they're recreating the Northwest Passage, let's hope they don't uh, all go, let's say, missing under strange circumstances. Yeah, I think they're trying to go for the route, but not the experience, right? Yeah, I was going to say, don't go for the experience of that. That did not end well for the people involved the first time. (laughs) Now, another graphic you have here is really the how and the when the visitors really arrive. And looking at that, I mean, largely it's all, pretty much almost all, no, not all, about, I want to say like 55, 60%. Is, is through the cruise ships. Yes, cruise ships definitely bring the majority of our visitors here. I think we were coming up with something like 50, 55%. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then this one I don't think is quite very surprising considering how people tend to react to Alaska winter that aren't from here, but most of their visitors are in the summer. Yes, 90% in the summer. That winter uh, group is interesting, though, because it has been growing over the last couple of decades. We didn't used to have even uh, that 10%, about 320,000 visitors come in the winter. Um, A lot of those folks are coming from countries where they want to experience the northern lights. So I know that there's a lot of people from Asian countries who come up into the interior in the winter to experience the northern lights. Okay. And I can, I can see that this is a bit more of a c- conjecture and observation from, uh, I actually vol- worked at the zoo in Anchorage for a little while, and we would often see a lot of tourists from, from Asian countries, although they were there to see animals, because obviously I worked at the zoo. But I do think it's an interesting observation to make, because I did see an increase in that demographic as tourists. Yes. Okay. And then, like you said earlier, Juno is the big, really the big port. I see the graphic here, which actually has the 2019 passengers on it. Juno was 98%. Ketchikan was 89%. Skagway, 78%. You know, those are our big regions 
for our cruise ship tourists especially. Mm -hmm. Yep, and when you think about the impact of cruise visitors on these local economies, it's really significant. Of course, it's big in Juneau. We get most of the visitors, but Juneau has a pretty diverse um, economic base as well. We've got the state government um, capital here. We have a strong federal government presence. We have a university. So we have a lot of other things that keep things moving. Um, Ketchikan, still, it's it's. F a little less diverse, but they've got multiple things going on. But when you look at Skagway, that gets nearly 80% of the visitors, Skagway is heavily tourism dependent. That is the lifeblood of that community. And I, and I do agree with you on that, as uh, I actually have a friend who lives in Skagway that I met uh, during my freshman year of college, and so he and I stay, still are quite close, and so we always talk about the economy up there, and it is very tourism focused. And I mean, I've still been meaning to get up there personally, just so I have greater context for that. But to see those numbers, it definitely reaffirms what I have been told about it previously. You've got to get to Skagway. It's delightful. It's a beautiful, beautiful place and a lot of history and really fascinating and a good place to launch yourself into Canada if you're interested in taking the railroad or going on the Chilkoot Trail. I will definitely have to get up there. I also know that we have our, uh, our repeater up in Skagway, so I'm sure folks there are hearing me mention that and are asking why I haven't been up there yet. <laughs> Now, another one I want to hit, because we don't have too, we have a little bit of time left in this first half of the show, is the, the visitors to the parks in the state pre-pandemic. I see those are actually uh, quite high pre-pandemic. How have those been impacted, you know, post, or how are they looking post-pandemic? Looking at the national park visits was a really interesting glimpse into the pandemic's effects, and there's a couple of things that really stand out. One of them is that Glacier Bay and Denali Park uh, get a lot of cruise-based tourists. It's funny to think that that's the case in uh, Denali because it's so interior. But what happens is they're on land-based tours that come out of like Seward, get on the railroad, and then they head up to the interior from there. So there's a lot of people who visit like that. In fact, we saw some um, estimates that 40 to 50% of the visitors who make it to the interior have come off of cruise ships. So it's significant. But so when we look at that first year, Glacier Bay was annihilated in 2020. They got 1% of their regular visitor traffic. Denali got 10% or 9% of their regular visitor traffic. And the reason Denali was still had some visitors is because Alaskans like to go there too. And that's another thing that we see in here is the the areas that Alaskans really get to. So Kenai Fjords was a really interesting one because in 2021, most other parks, Denali and Glacier Bay, were still suffering quite hard on, um, in 2021. We didn't have a lot of cruise ship visitors. We had practically none that year. Um, but Kenai Fjords had one of their best years ever. They were at 115% of the visitor volume of pre-pandemic. And that's because Alaskans and independent travelers really appreciated going to that accessible and interesting park on the road system. Gotcha. Now, we do have to take our break. When we come back, we'll talk a bit more about those tourism numbers, but then also just some more general sort of data around what's going on with the state. You are listening to Action Line on KINY. Alrighty. Now, before the break... We were talking a lot more about tourism. We were looking at specifically the number of folks going to the park system. I think it was a good point you mentioned with, uh, I believe it was Kenai Fjords, where we had a lot more of that local influx to really boost those numbers despite the pandemic still going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, my parents were some of those. They drove from Fairbanks down to Anchorage, picked up a couple of grandchildren and went down and took a whale watching tour in 2021 with the grandkids. Gotcha. I have to say, I think... 2021 i was actually no i was down here at school for 2021 
Yeah, excellent. And then the other one that I just thought I'd mention briefly because it's so interesting is Katmai Park. Katmai Park is actually in 2022 had a fully recovered and was above their pre-pandemic levels too. And in 2020, 2000 and oh, sorry 2020 they didn't get hit quite as hard and there were two reasons why they kept about 60 percent of their regular visitor traffic even though basically the whole world shut down in 2020 and that has to do with its remoteness and the expense and timing to get there the people who had made those arrangements did it years in advance they had permits secured they spent a lot of money and they were going to the middle of nowhere they were not going to cancel those plans and we see again in uh, 2022 that people are back on that bucket list destination so alaska's got cool parks and people definitely still want to go there gotcha i was gonna say because looking at the graphics i mean it seems like almost all of them are either close to or back to or even higher than their pre-COVID visitor levels. They're all pretty close to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And nationally, it's kind of like that, too. Um, National parks did really well during the pandemic because it was a explore your backyard kind of a thing. Right. Now, another one I wanted to hit was let me flip through because there's a lot of it's it's a very long article, which I appreciate as someone who is originally from a science background. I'm like, good. I have tons of information to work with. Now, the other one I want to hit you with was some of our kind of our gauging our economy are those sorts of data. Because I understand that you also work in that area as well. I do. Yes. Now, the first big one I want to hit is employment by region, which is kind of towards the end of the Trends magazine. But mm-hmm. I see that we actually did see an increase in employment for most regions, if I'm understanding this graph correctly. Yes, that is the case. Um, Every region has been hit really hard by COVID, a little bit different by area, but they all got hit and pretty hard. And then they've all been recovering, although at different rates. So when you look at the state, according to our regions, you can see that there's growth widespread, although it is different depending on where you're looking at. Gotcha, because I was gonna say, it looks like the region that had the lowest growth was actually uh, the Southwest. So the Aleutians, Bethel, that kind of area at a 0.5% increase. And then we didn't actually see that much more. We saw a 0.9% increase. Yep. Southwest um, has a couple reasons for a relatively low growth rate. One is that there aren't that many jobs there. So they did get hit by the pandemic losses, but not as hard because there weren't as many jobs to lose. They're also very heavily dependent on fishing, and fishing was not quite as responsive to the pandemic and the closures. It was in 2020, but it recovered quite a lot afterwards. So we see an area that has has uh, relatively little economic activity and is also fairly stable. Okay. And now, I'm not sure how much you can speak on to this one, but I'm looking at the graphic for the net migration, which if you're in the packet was the page before. I want to be thorough about that because we both have this packet, but it's designed in different ways. Mine is like a clipboard right now. But our net migration, we saw, uh, it looks like a negative. We were losing folks by the look of it. That's true. Um, Net migration is the difference between the people who come to Alaska and the people who leave, for those of us who aren't as familiar with the demographic terms. And Alaska has been in a state of negative net migration now for 10 years, which means that we've had fewer people coming than leaving. And it's really the difference here, what's changed over time, is that we have fewer people coming. We do have about the same number of people leaving. And just to give people some context, these numbers are huge. 40 to 50,000 people come to Alaska and leave Alaska every year. And then in hearing that makes me raise the question of, 
is there any sort of ideas as to why that could be? Why are we seeing that that net negative for migration? There's always a lot of reasons that people choose to move. So, you know, we can't get into all of the details. We can't capture all of the details. But big picture, the biggest change or the biggest driver here is the relatively relative strength of Alaska's economy versus the U.S.'s. Alaska had a three-year state recession, 2015 to 2018. We were barely just pulling out of that in 19, and then the pandemic hit. At the same time, the U.S. economy has been fairly robust. And so through our state recession, we were losing people for that reason. Pandemic made things more complicated. And now we're in a state where both the state uh, economy and the U.S. economy are growing at a relatively fast clip. But Alaska is lagging considerably compared to the national recovery rate. Okay. And then to sort of spring off of that question, then it would raise the question of what would we... And this may be conjecture. I mean, that tends to happen quite a lot. But what does it look like that, that as a state we might need to do to sort of get back to a positive migration or even sort of neutral out even? Boy, that is such an interesting question. And I think everybody's been really interested in it because we, when we have a loss in population, we have fewer people in schools. We have fewer workers available. We, you know, everything kind of is restricted as a result. So what can we do to get more people to live in Alaska? You know, we have to kind of focus on some of the fundamentals of what makes this a livable state. Why would people want to be here? There are things about Alaska that are incredibly unique and incredibly attractive to some portion of the, the U.S., you know, population. So I think it's important that we get the word out there, what we have to offer. And then what we have is solid, good schools, good roads, stable government, you know, all of the things that people look to when they're deciding, where is it that I want to be? Okay. And I'm glad you you, you did uh, push to sort of answer that question. Oftentimes, I find when I ask folks the, these sort of larger sort of conjectural questions, where I'm like, hey, just with the information that you have and then in your area, what do you think we need to do? And sometimes people just kind of go like, I don't know, or they don't really answer the question. So to have you answer that question, I think is quite good because that gives not only me, but also I feel like gives the listener kind of a bit of an insight into some more perspectives on that. Well, it's funny that you say that, Dan, uh, Jordan, because one of the things that we do in research and analysis with DOL is a lot of data production and dissemination. So we do get a lot of information out to people so that they can make their own informed decisions and assumptions about what's going on. But we certainly do like to provide our expertise when we can. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, we still have quite a good bit of time here. So I want to actually circle back to some of our tourism to conversation and specifically, want to look at how the jobs market has been in has been in relation to tourism. How's that been looking? Oh, tourism got hammered, hammered with um, the job losses in 2020. Think about people who are working in what we call leisure and hospitality. So that would be bars, restaurants, and accommodations. Those jobs were just really hit hard, probably a 30% drop in 2020. And the recovery has been, you know, every year we've been getting more and more of those back, but it depends a lot on uh, local demand and then the return of visitors. So last year, we got a lot of visitors back, and that really made a difference in our employment numbers. And Alaskans have also been returning to more usual patterns of getting out and traveling in-state, which also requires the accommodations. So we are starting to get back there, but they're basically all of the sectors that we look at that are related to tourism. So I mentioned leisure and hospitality. Another one we like is um, scenic and sightseeing transportation. That's your whale watching tours and helicopter tours. Uh, 
gift and souvenir shops is an interesting one. Um, another one that kind of surprised me is jewelry shops. It turns out that 60% of the summer employment in jewelry shops is in Skagway, Juneau, and Ketchikan. Right there, when the tourists get off the boats, we've got a jewelry row. So um, that was another one that got hit really hard. And when you look at the last three years, each year we've been seeing recovery, but none of those individual sectors is back to pre-pandemic levels yet. This could be the year, 2023, with a good return of visitors, could be where we get back to those pre-pandemic numbers. But one of the things that's kind of potentially constraining our growth is the availability of workers. And so we know that it's been a challenge for some industries and, and businesses to recruit. There's not as many people as there are job openings. In fact, BLS puts out a series that looks at job openings and they're record highs right now. So there's a lot of lot of job openings and a lot of people, not as many people looking for work. In fact, the last numbers I saw that was for every job open, there's half a person available to fill it. So there's a lot of that. Anyway, and then I wanted to just kind of go into Alaska has a lot of non-resident workers that we have come up in our off season or in our on season so summer workers and um, when there's a lot of job opportunities in the lower 48 there's not quite as much of a pull for people to come work seasonally in Alaska so it's going to be interesting to see what that looks like this year as we try to recruit we usually have about 20 percent of the people big picture in a year are from out of state but when you look at uh, like Skagway and Denali 60 7% of their workers are from out of state or sometimes out of the country. So are we going to be able to get the people we need to fill the jobs if we have the jobs available? That's a million-dollar question for this year. I, I was going to say you hit the nail on the head for the question right there is just trying to figure out where are we going to get those employees. I remember talking with uh, Senator Keel a couple of times about the marine highway system and the issues with employment there. And I feel like that's – and having those issues of, with employment I think is uh, – in it's indicative of a larger scale issue that doesn't quite have a, a solid answer, but we'll definitely have to look into that. Now, we actually are out of time, so I'd like to thank you for coming on and talk with me today. I think it was a good conversation. I really appreciate it, Jordan. This was great. All righty. You've been listening to Action Line on KNY. Coming up next is ABC News.